This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Gable's Eatery is always open, feeding hungry hearts, bodies, and souls. When Strad, a young man at odds with life, wanders in, an uncanny encounter propels him on a journey to the hidden fifth dimension of Alchuego. He meets a people with ancient roots and a mysterious mission, whose curious customs and odd-sounding ideas somehow snap the missing puzzle pieces of Strad's life into place. Tune in as we speak with Ben Ackerman about his mystical novel, Open When You Are, discovering the forgotten secret that makes life make sense. You're listening to New Books and Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Ben, welcome to New Books and Jewish Studies. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. It's a privilege to be here. So, Ben, please tell us about yourself. Uh, so, I'm, thank God I'm happily married, father, grandfather. I was born in Massachusetts, in the East Coast. I've been living in Israel. I'm in Israel now, but living in Israel for about the last 30 years. Um, my story is a little interesting. I'm what's called in Hebrew a Baal Teshuva. That means a returnee. A Baal Teshuva basically means that I grew up in a totally secular environment, secular liberal environment, not any religious background, so to speak. I knew I was Jewish, but that was about it. And then when I was in my mid-twenties, my, I guess you could say, I became more spiritually oriented. I became more open to different things. I explored various paths, et cetera, et cetera. And somehow I ended up back to my roots. And now I've been living my life for the last uh, 30 years as a religious Torah observant Jew. Um, besides writing, of course, I enjoy cooking. If you read the book, you'll see that the, the cooking is a big part of it. And uh, I love nature. I see. I love seeing the imprint of God in, in nature. Now, had you always wanted to write a novel? Where did the idea for this story come from? The truth of the matter is no. I mean, that was really not on my radar. I mean, I looked at something like the size of a novel, and it just seemed totally overwhelming to me. But then I jumped in, and I saw for sure it was totally overwhelming. <laughs> but I persisted, and... Um, it took me basically over 10 years, well over 10 years, working pretty consistently to get this book written. Um, what was my impetus? I'll tell you the truth. It's kind of funny. Um, back when the Harry Potter series was pretty young, I had just basically seen someone had told me the premise of the story. And it kind of hit me funny because I said, to, wait a minute, that's me. You know, someone who grew up and all of a sudden realized that his life was much more meaningful, much more grand. He came from somewhere much more amazing than he ever thought ever thought he did. I said, that's my story. And I'll tell just as an aside, I never read any of the books and I never saw any of the Harry Potter movies. 
But I, th that's my story. And then almost on its own, the story started to write itself in my head. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And, you know, at least the outline, the main themes of how it was going to go. And I wouldn't say the work is autobiog autobiographical per se, but that was the starting point. That's what really got me going. Ben, would you offer a basic sketch of the surface-level story without, of course, giving away any spoilers? Sure. Well, the story, the protagonist of the story is a young man named Strad Crossriver. He's 25 years old. He's a few years out of college. He just really hasn't gotten his life together after leaving college. Somehow he's not so comfortable buying into what you would call the typical path that he should be taking. Now, he, the only problem is he has a fiancé, a girlfriend named Nina Thorne, and she is a very high-powered woman. She's, you know, nice-looking, high-powered and everything, and she's basically run out of patience with him. She gave him an ultimatum. She said, if you're not ready to really get onto a career path, we're through. So as Strad's mulling this all over, he happens to wander into a, um, a very unusual cafe, and there, one thing leads to the other, and he ends up getting basically catapulted to this remote colony somewhere halfway across the world. And it's populated by these people who are the last remnants of an ancient civilization. And this civilization came to the world from a different world millennia ago with a very specific mission. To teach humanity to perceive a hidden, a hidden fifth dimension that's called the harmonious fifth dimension. And through perceiving that dimension, it would bring humanity to harmony. That was their job. So what's happened over all these years? The only problem is that right away, almost since they got there and up until today, there's been there's a, a coalition of very powerful elite humans who really don't want that to happen. They have a lot of vested interests really in keeping the hierarchy and keeping humanity divided. The current leader of that, of that today, of that coalition, his name is Tuval, and he is a very big media magnate. And he's been using all of his powers and all of his resources to try to keep, do whatever he can to keep the, um, the world divided and to really keep people distracted with um, trivial pursuits, so to speak, selfish trivial pursuits, rather than more spiritual pursuits. Um, okay. So Strad is at the colony, and he's having a good time. He's taking these mystical cooking lessons from the owner of the cafe who's also over there. His name is Gable Aftergood. He was an ex-1960s um, Woodstock hero who also moved his way over to the colony. And while he's also there, he met a, uh, a beautiful, nice uh, artist named Dolly, and he's trying to court her. So all this is going on. But meanwhile, he has a bigger mission because he was told that he is the one who has the destiny to deliver to the world a special manuscript and this special manuscript has an ability, whoever, con whoever comes in contact with it will suddenly be able to perceive and to really get into the fifth dimension. And why is this so important right now is because we are at a place in history where the charter of these unifiers, which that's what those people are called who live in the colony, is, is up. And humanity has to make a choice right now. They either have to so to speak, get their act together and harmonize, or there's going to be a tremendous catastrophe, a tremendous cat cataclysm that's going to happen into the world, and basically leaving them as um, choiceless robots to this coalition. So it's really, there's really, really high stakes. So meanwhile, Nina 
the fiance, she's been on a journey of her own, which I won't get into, but she's been on quite a journey of her own. And that journey has collided with Strads. And not only that, but that's awakened Tuval, the head of the, the head of the coalition, to really get on board in the deadly battle to try to stop Strad from his mission. Um, why? Obviously, he wants to preserve the coalition's goals. You know, he's the head of the coalition, but even more so, he has a shocking secret that he'll do anything to preserve. And this shocking secret that he has not only affects him, but it deeply affects Strad and also affects Nina. And that is more or less the, um, the outline of the story. If you don't mind, I'd just like to add parenthetically that the book itself has absolutely zero profanity in it, and it has zero indecent scenes in it at all. But I try to handle that in a very light-handed way. It's not coming off as something stilted or anything like that. I think it has a very modern, normal read to it. It just happens to be missing the profanity of the, uh, the indecent scenes. Thank you. While the story has its own merit and enchantment, there is also a deeper level that's even more intriguing. In fact, your novel is a spiritual allegory brimming with insights from Judaism. Tell us about that. Well, I've always been like a big picture kind of a person, and my mind naturally goes to allegories, connecting one thing to another. Um, so I found that after over 30 years of intense study of Jewish studies, of Bible and of Kabbalah and various branches of Jewish studies, that I saw that a breathtaking, self-consistent and integrated worldview of reality was forming in front of me. And it put a, a view that provides the meaning of life also for the individual, whether he's Jewish or non-Jewish, the scope of world history, and really the competing forces that are in play in today's society, or I should really say at war in today's society. Um, so it really it provides all the missing pieces that I really feel makes life understandable, really. It makes life make sense. So I try, obviously, a person finds something good, he finds something worthwhile, he wants to share it with others, he wants to help others. So when I would try to share my discovery with others, I found basically blank stares, uh, boredom, yawns, and, uh, and eyes glazing over, and I couldn't understand why. But then it hit me. The problem is, the problem is that our society is so brainwashed against anything that's religious or any religious terms, it's almost like a non-starter. Once a person hears anything coming from a religious standpoint, they're basically going to turn off. And unfortunately, I, can, I know from my early life, I would be the exact same way. So I said, there's got to be a solution. So what was my solution? Is I decided I was going to translate all of these ideas. Just like Bible ideas have been translated over the centuries into various languages, etc., etc. I decided I was going to translate these ideas into the form of a secular spiritual allegory. And... Um, and also, I was going to, and what I did is, this book, you'll notice that there's absolutely zero mention of religion, zero mention of even God, and zero mention of the Jewish people or Bible. But it's all about all of those things. Um, so I tried to do that, and I, and I decided, instead of making it into maybe just a dry textbook or a thesis, something like that, why not make it into an exciting story with true characters playing out some of these ideas and uh, action? So that's what I did. It's amazing how art, whether literature, painting, or music, can reach places deep in the human soul. It opens up a different part of a person's brain, a different part of a person's soul. You're right. So what do you hope readers come away with after reading your book? Well, I think this is a book that can be appreciated and can be enjoyed on many different levels. Uh, for some people, I think maybe they'll just look at it as good, clean fun. 
You know, it's a story. It's got action. It's got characters. It has some humor. It's like, by the way, it's even though it sounds like very profound themes and everything, it's written very, very light. It's written very, very, there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of irony and a lot of action in it. It's a very, I, I would call it deep ideas, but an easy read, you know? So that's for one level. A person may be waiting on a, on a slightly different level. Maybe they'll come out with some food for thought. They'll come out with some insights about life. They'll take away, you know, it would be like one of those books that has, you know, they're called meaningful, meaningful books. And then there could be people who would really have a, take it even more at a higher level and they would really work on trying to unravel the allegory, you know, and try to see really what is being taught here and try to carry it over. And for people like that, I think that it would become really a guide to a complete spiritual Bible-based mystical cosmology. It has that potential. I, I like to call it maybe the lazy man's guide to enlightenment. I mean, you know, both you and I, 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 I watched some of your speeches, you're obviously very learned in the sources itself. I've also spent some time with the sources. There's no substitute for that. But for a person who wants to really gain the ideas like in a very easily digestible and fun way, I think open when you are is exactly the exactly the, the ticket for them. Now, speaking of sources, if you could reduce your book to one major influence, what one source would that be? That's a great question. Um, as I say, it's very Kabbalistic oriented. It's based on Kabbalah, but Judaism considers Kabbalah just a different level of the Torah, the Bible. There's four levels of the Bible, according to Jewish thought. You might well be familiar with this idea, but there's, it's called pardes, which means, um, it's from the word paradise came from there. It means an orchard. And the four levels are considered to be the, the simple level, which is called pshat in Hebrew, that's basically the meaning of the stories, etc., the laws. And then there's remez, which is resh. And that means hints, which more carries in other deeper, deeper ideas. And then there is um, ardes, and then there's drush. Drush is really analyzing. It's almost using the words of the Torah in, in Hebrew, you know, from my experience, as, as almost like a code to get more information. And then there's sold, which is called secrets, the secrets of the Torah. So really, we believe that it's all one unified Torah. But I would say that I probably approached it a lot from more of the deeper, more mystical level of the Torah. The Zohar and various uh, writings from there. But a lot of it is, but a lot of it is also just very basic um, ethical ideas, character improvement ideas. People can relate to it, I think, on, on many different levels. What's next on the horizon for you, Ben? Any further fiction projects? Um, that's a good question. I mean, people have mentioned to me, you know, some people who read it say, well, when's the sequel? And I kind of like, when's the sequel? But, you know, I'm, I'm considering the idea. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the truth, Michael. I think that maybe because I, I delve so deeply into such a, a large project that lately I seem to be going to the opposite extreme. What I've been doing lately, investing a lot of time in, in publishing is something, it's, it's a form of haiku poetry, which you might be familiar with. Very, very short, three-line poetry. And I call it haiku. Chai means life in Hebrew. So I call it haiku. And what I try to do with that is I try to distill some of these ideas that I've put into the book and some of these ideas that I've gathered into life to very, very short sound bites. So I've been doing that. Uh, also, I'm currently writing a couple of biographies for uh, Jewish spiritual leaders, would survive the Holocaust. Um, but my real dream is to turn open when you are into a movie. That is my dream. 
because I think that it would lend itself to a film very well, and I think it also it would reach, obviously, a much bigger and wider audience. That's really my dream. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to share perhaps one last thought. Of course. Um, so I feel that the spiritual, the spiritual underpinning of the biblical tradition is exactly what the world needs, both individual and society, to heal and to thrive. And there's been a great campaign to try to conceal this dimension from us, and it breaks my heart. It honestly breaks my heart. And so I hope and pray that my work, open when you are, will at least do some small part in turning this tide. Ben, thank you for sharing Open When You Are with us. All the best. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate the opportunity, and it's been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. Friends, you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.